Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today, episode 170 with Coach Matt Hackenberg. He's the head boys basketball coach at Glen Oak High School in Canton, Ohio. Coach Hackenberg has coached at East Canton High School, and also he was the coach at St. Thomas Aquinas in Ohio. In his four years as the head coach at Aquinas, Hackenberg guided the Knights to four straight district titles, something only achieved in Stark County history by McKinley from 1974 to 1977. Aquinas had never even won back-to-back district titles in the program's history until this run. Last season, Coach Hackenberg and his Glen Oak High School team went 17-8 and had a great year, winning the District 4 championship. He's coached two college basketball players, one who just finished a great career at Mount Vernon, Nazarene, and one heading into Mount Union for basketball. He's coached the North-South game for Ohio, won Coach of the Year for Ohio by the Coaches Association, and won Basketball Coach of the Year for Stark County. He has 126 wins as a high school basketball coach. Coaches, uh, I have... This is another part of our Ohio basketball coaching series. Great coaches in Ohio. Uh, I think uh, Matt is like the fifth or sixth coach from Ohio that I've um, interviewed. I think you're really going to get a lot out of it. Matt has a great website. Uh, Matter of fact, I stole a lot of his ideas on his wave ball screen offense. Um, So I'm really going to try to promote that. He's going to really talk about that on what is he doing to build Glen Oak into one of the top programs in Ohio. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. It'll be very informative. So let's welcome Matt Hackenberg.
now, your coach for the Championship Vision Podcast. From Glen Oaks High School in Canton, Ohio, Coach Matt Hackenberg. Podcast, uh, we got Coach Matt Hackenberg here, and I, I'm so excited to get you on simply because um, I really enjoy reading a lot of your material. I've really studied some of your offensive concepts that you you have taught or been you know been teaching in the past, and I really love what you're doing for the game. That's why I'm calling you. Hey, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you grew up in the game and uh, how that kind of led you to do what you're doing now. Well, I guess I've been around basketball my whole life. Uh, basketball coaches. My grandfather uh, was a, uh, at a local high school around here. Uh, my dad actually played for my grand grandfather um, back in the 60s. And then, you know, I got into basketball as a young man. I played uh, in high school. I played in college. And as soon as I got out of college, I got into, got into coaching. So coaching something that's in my bloodlines. I've been around <laughs> it as long as I can remember. And, you know, I'm really excited to just be able to share the game and grow as a coach here. Yeah, you, you don't know what else to do, right? You thought coaching was the only profession, it sounds like. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I got back to uh, Stark County, where I'm from. I went to college down at Kentucky Christian University and played college basketball there. And as soon as I got back to Stark County, uh, hit me up and say, hey, you want to get involved in this? And I really had no idea what I was getting into, but... Uh, that was a great team that I got to be a part of my first year of coaching. We went 20-0 and in the regular season. We had some great guards that I got to work with close and some responsibility. Um, and I just thought coaching was going to be really easy after just diving into a situation uh, that was really easy. I soon found out that not all seasons are like that, um, but it was a nice introduction into high school coaching and journey of a few more years as an assistant coach and then uh, getting a head coaching job and uh, you know using that success at that first job into getting a second head coaching job so I've spent um, eight years as a head head high school basketball coach and really that's all I've done you know from high school on is coach basketball. Yeah absolutely and I I speak to coaches really from all over the country and I tell you i Spoken to a lot of great men. High school basketball in Ohio is really good. I have a, uh, you might even know him, a legendary coach out there, Randy Montgomery. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know Coach Montgomery, but uh, Eric Flannery. You, you got, y'all have some great coaches out there in Ohio. Yeah, Randy Montgomery is actually a really good friend of mine, and he's, um, you know, been a uh, somebody that I've used as a reference, and then he's been a mentor to me. He wrote a book with uh, Matt Kramer. Matt Kramer, uh, that sure. I read. Yeah, and that's that's mm. principle looking to start and build a. He's been an excellent resource for me. You know, he's got five, six hundred <clears> wins, <throat> just about every place that he's went. And uh, you know, he's a guy that I talk to on a semi-regular basis here now. So it's funny that you bring that name up. Yeah, he's a good mentor to have. Matter of fact, Randy came. I run a clinic out here in Georgia. Randy brought his family out here, his wife, uh, and, and brought her, brought him out here. And um, 
spoke at the clinic and you know and 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 we didn't pay for it he came all the way out to help my clinic out and uh just gave me a lot of great resources and great ideas um that's what we need in the industry more is just true friends like that yeah absolutely and i think that's the best thing about basketball is, you know, the connections that you make with the players that you're coaching and then the connections you make with uh, the other coaches. It kind of this fraternity where you get to know uh, all these people and you have the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And uh, tell me kind of a mentor and it could be Randy that really had an impact. So I know you're doing things right because you built a really solid program at Aquinas it looks like now, and tell me if I'm correct, you, you, you're a right. Glen Oak is really becoming a good program, and you built it up uh, to that level. Which coach had an influence on your philosophy? Well, certainly my dad, who coached me. Uh, my dad got a head coaching job at high, in uh, Heritage Christian mm. High School my, when I was going to be a sophomore. So I transferred from a public school over to play for my dad, and I still see – uh, his imprint on some things that we do now, uh, just in how we structure a fast break, you know, ideas evolve and, you know, you remember that's stuff that you got ago when my father was coaching me in high school. Uh, certainly my college coaches, Chad Leach, uh, had me two years at Kentucky Christian university. And then Will Schaus, who's the head coach at Asbury now, uh, he had my last two years over at Kentucky Christian University. You know, those guys, uh, you know, that, that for me, you know, I was preparing to be a coach at that time. So I was thinking and studying about the things that we were we were doing. And um, I think some of the things that they experimented with during our, my college days are stuff that really intrigued me to this day and stuff that I've tried to stick with, with personnel that we've had at my various stops in the coaching ranks. Yeah, it's always so cool. And I, I think, I mean, would you give coaches, and I know I've, this is my 30th year of coaching, and I've learned from so many different sources, Matt, that, um, but eventually you have to find something that you truly believe in, right? Sure. Or, or it's not, you, you can't have, you can't run somebody else's stuff. You got to run what you believe in. So uh, that's what I really want to talk to you today about what you really believe in in your program. Before you do that, give us what, what have you done during the pandemic to stay connected with your players? Yeah, that's been tough. And it's a no con it was a no con period for us in terms of being physically present or organizing anything with our kids. But uh, it was a lot of text messaging and different group chats going uh, with our outgoing players, with our current players, just checking up on them and um, seeing if they're working out or if they need any direction and what they're doing. One of the nice things about some of the players we have, instead of them waiting for me to, you know, give them direction, you know, they're checking with me and say, hey, what do you want me to be working on or stuff like that. So it's been challenging and there's certainly no roadmap, you know, that's not something you can go to a Randy Montgomery and say, hey, how, hey, coach, how do I handle this? What should I be doing? Because nobody's ever went through <laughs> sure. before. So you kind of just figure it out as you go. But I think the important thing is staying in some way. Yeah, and it sounds like um, you're building a great culture when your players are number one doing the workouts. Number two, they're connect. They're they're taking the initiative to contact you. So 
that's a sign of a great culture, right? Yeah, and then I think that you can you can check and make sure that that's accurate. And you know, we're doing these room to see where guys' strengths are. And uh, you know, now that we've got them back in the gym, we can see guys who maintain their strength, or grew even grew their strength over this pandemic, and some guys that have fallen off. So. You know, you, you can back up uh, what you want your guys to do with some numbers, and I think the weight room has uh, an indicator that a lot of guys, our guys, have been working through this crisis. What are you guys doing in Ohio? Because right now in Georgia, um, we're allowed no ball, and we have to stay the, the social distancing. Those are all – I mean, it's really, really strict guidelines. Um, we're, we can't use a ball until I don't know when – uh, which is tough for us because June's our basketball sure. month. So what what is Ohio allowing you guys to do? So Ohio is, uh, you know, we've got guidelines um, from the state of Ohio. We've got guidelines from the OHSAA, which is our governing body of all sports. And then we've got right. guidelines from our high school. So we've got three sets of guidelines compiled into <clears throat> Uh, you know, a sheet that lets us know what we can and can't do. We are phasing back into our workouts. So there's a phase one, a phase two, and a phase three. And we are in phase one, which allows us uh, to do some things, but not all things. We can't play one or five on five. We're trying to stay socially distanced as much as possible. Our coaches are to wear masks during the workouts. But we can have groups of 10 that include okay. uh, your coaches, so however many coaches you have. Uh, that's counted in your number. You can do workout weight room group, and then we have a court group, uh, which is usually about nine and one coach. And we do an hour and we rotate. So the um, you know players from the weight room, the court. So we're doing just three days a week, uh, two hours, but we're rotating our groups through. We're getting uh, you know freshmen through seniors through workouts, and uh, you know bit of an undertaking to take temperatures and do all that kind of stuff but you got to do what you got to do and uh as we move forward here if we don't have any setbacks that'll open up and to hopefully you know july or august we're able to play five on five or do some scrimmaging so it's interesting and um you know there is some restrictions but i guess everybody's under the same restrictions and everybody should be following the same guidelines so you're not gaining any major advantage and then they also have waived some of the summer restrictions where there was a dead period in August. I don't believe that they're going to have a dead period this summer since our spring was basically taken away. So they're making some concessions uh, back to the coaches and back to the programs, I think, to make up for some lost time that we had. Yeah, I really like what you guys are doing because uh, in, in Georgia – they, they haven't said anything about phases. They're just kind of taking a look at what's happening. I'm sure they have phases, but they haven't sure. explained it, it like that. I really like that. I love how they're allowing you guys to use a ball. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the one that's that's the one disagreement we have with the association here. I think they should allow us to use a ball, but no contact. Yeah. We, we uh, do use balls, but they the players bring balls, and we're not supposed yeah. to. Yeah, not supposed to pass pass the ball or, you know, uh, have people handling the same basketball. So, players uh, had to go get basketball, which probably isn't a good sign about what they're doing outside of uh, uh, <laughs> sure. our practices. But it's nice, <clears throat> right? Enough to you know go get one so that they could participate in these workouts. 
Yeah, absolutely on that. So hopefully, hopefully everybody will be back uh, in the swing of things. Um, Coach, talk about, I always want to start from the beginning of your program. Talk about your foundational core values of your program. Well, it's been uh, an evolution here. So, you know, I've been a head coach for eight years and I've been in two situations that were different and required different things. And it uh, required me to take a long look uh, about what the value should be, specifically what the kids need at the place uh, that I'm at. So I started at Thomas Aquinas. You know, we had great kids there, great families. Uh, they were disciplined. They were structured. And uh, mm -hmm. they were really allowed me to coach them and, and coach them hard. And we've had great success there in four years. Through into a larger uh, public school. So Glen Oak is the school that I'm at now. I'm enjoying my time there. But I went from a, you know, a Catholic school with... 300 kids to a public school with about 2000 kids. So <laughs> sure. You know, quite a difference and I think that the the connections piece that we talked about a little bit earlier has been pushed to the forefront of, you know, really trying to become a mentor, really trying uh to establish a great connection between our players uh and myself as a coach. So it's evolved, it's changed, but I think the real answer is to evaluate the situation that you're in and give your program what it needs instead of trying to you know, necessarily impress it to be, you know, look at it, experience it and work your way through it and give the program what it needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I can definitely connect with you there with, I was at a Catholic school too. And now actually I'm now at a, a, a small public school. Um, but, um, Give me your like your non-negotiables, things that, you know, one or two things that you really base your program on that you guys live by. Well, I think, you know, we started with our youth and, you know, we're demanding things from them like, you know, eye contact when we're in huddles and we're demanding, you know, shirts are tucked in during practices. And, you know, the thought process is, is that, you know, if you can't do simple things like that on a consistent basis, you know, how are you going to be able to respond uh, when we ask you to do something hard. So I think it's really uh, in the details and not all of it is fun for the players or they need to understand why. Uh, but I think it's these little tests here and there uh, just to make sure that everyone's compliant and everybody's on the same page that, you know, we're going to do what needs to be done and what's being asked of us, uh, you know, instead of any mini rebellions or need to look cool or, uh, you know, people going their own way. So I think it's bringing a group together um, through making everybody follow, you know, the same set of uh, circumstances or rules. Yeah, I love that. And it, it sounds like to me, I, I tell you what I, you mentioned about your youth program. I read a good, a little bit good article on you about your little Eagles program that you're spending time with the coaches. And I, I absolutely love doing this myself. You're spending time with your, your feeder system coaches on teaching them your system, teaching them your values. Um, I think that's great. Tell us a little bit about that before you move on to the next topic. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And that's, you know, a large school district like we have, it takes a lot of manpower uh, to organize, you know, the type of feeder program that we have, where we have over 500 <clears throat> kids garden up to sixth grade. 
you know, that's a lot of coaches, uh, you know, that have to give their time and energy into something. So one of the things with the youth coaches is you, know, you want that their development not be about what necessarily they might want it to be, which is trying to win a tournament, bring it, bring a trophy home, mm-hmm, but you sure. want the development to be geared towards what you're going to be asking the kids to do when they get up, uh, you know, into the high school level and the middle school level. So, you know, we kind of scale it quite a bit, but we're asking for a few concepts here and there that they make sure that they're at that level so that there's a natural progression from the Little Eagles program to our middle school program up into our high school program. So we are fortunate. We've got two alumni in the NBA right now from Glen Oak. So uh, C.J. McCollum from the Portland Trailblazers came out of Glen Oak and uh, Coach nice. Kufis, um who actually just moved overseas to play in Russia, but uh, had a nice NBA <laughs> career. So we have those guys who, you know, kids in our community see around the community, you know, they can aspire and know that, you know, if they work hard, they've got a chance because people that they're familiar with have also, you know, made it to the NBA and had huge success uh, from the school district that they're in. So those guys are wonderful. They give to our kids. Uh, Kufis does a camp uh, every summer. You know, we weren't able to do it this year with the pandemic, but, you know, I think 12 years that a camp in uh, Glen Oaks gym for our kids. He's a person to you know, really make the NBA and a dream relatable to our youth kids. So to have as many kids involved as we do and to, you know, ask as much as from our adult volunteers we do. Uh, and it's really exciting to be able to have that program, you know, feed us players that I think can be ready for, you know, high school, middle school when they get there. Yeah. It sounds like you guys had a great tradition there. Um, but when you came in, was it, you come into a rebuilding program or was it already established? Cause that. It's there's different philosophies for doing either one, right? You know, uh, it certainly wasn't a bad program, but I think Glen Oak, you know, <laughs> rather than having long stretches of dominance, has kind of popped up here and there, having a good year. You know, certainly here when Costa was a senior and when they actually played together, they overlapped to some extent. So it wasn't a you know, Glen Oak's not had a long, long tradition of winning over time. Uh, but it's never been a bad program, uh, and they have had some really good seasons here and there. So I guess my challenge was really trying to, you know, refine the program and get it on all cylinders. And, you know, my first year I took over, we we won 10 games, and the second year we won 11, and the third year we won 13, and this last year we won 17. So it feels like the progression is headed the right direction in terms of incrementally increasing our wins each season yeah there's no doubt you're progressing and this sounds like you're really building a solid program i know ohio just from what randy and these other coaches there's some great basketball in ohio isn't there talk a little bit about um how competitive it is and i don't know about your division and your district but Ohio has some good basketball, don't Really, they? really good basketball. And, you know, I've got a chance to, you know, watch some basketball in some different states. I was down in Kentucky for college and, you know, West Virginia and Florida. I've, I've been, ex- you know, had some experience with all those level of, levels of basketball. And, 
you know, to me, Ohio is just, uh, you know, just a wealth of great basketball coaches program so you know Glen Oak is in the federal league that's uh, the big school division division one you know all the teams in our league are big schools and just top to bottom it's well coached teams uh, you know programs with an ingrained culture programs with tradition so you know we really have no nights off in our league and then you see that across the state there's great there's great leagues all over the state, uh, loaded with great players, great coaches, great tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And now I want you to talk about your actual system. And I, I did purchase your uh, – so, hey, I'm trying to help you out, man. I'm, I'm trying to purchase as many stuff as, as I can. Um, but uh, I'm always learning, even though I have kind of a, a system that, that I love to teach, I really stole I – w- I want you to talk about your wave ball screen. Um we are basically going, we're mostly a dribble drive attack, but I really want to utilize more of a ball screen attack. And I, of course I studied yours and I really like the detail that you actually have in your packet and your video. Um, but also it's very similar to the Gonzaga type five man, five out flex. So I really want you to kind of share with us kind of your system and uh, kind of give us a little some so details think, on it. You know, the Gonzaga stuff is certainly an influence on what I did. And, you know, you, you talked a little <laughs> bit earlier of putting your own touch on things. And, you know, I believe that's what's happened here is this isn't an offense that I created out of thin air. This is a, an offense that I'd seen, you know, multiple teams running some version of it. And then we took it and put our stamp on, it, you know, and, you know, create out of it and you know uh name certain aspects of it and you know it kind of evolved into its own thing but it started from you know watching other teams run it and now it seems like a lot of teams are using it and i understand why because um you know there's just a lot of different options and really what led me to try to find an offense like this was uh my second year at st thomas aquinas we had a tournament run that led us into the state finals uh so we had an opportunity to win a state championship we were predominantly using sets as our offense offensive system and we got to the state finals against an undefeated convoy crestview team and they really just shut us down in all our sets and i was frustrated as a coach you know i'm thinking to myself you know we've got to get something um that we can go to to get the ball reversed and that we can stay in and we can have counters uh, for any, you know, different defenses that we see. And that led me to what we call this wave offense, which is the five out Euro ball screen offense. So, you know, the humbling of losing in the state finals, you know, led me on this quest to find something to fit our needs. And uh, it's landed on the evolution of this, this Euro ball screen and our, our spin on it. Yeah. And I really want you to kind of explain it. I know it's kind of tough in a podcast sometimes to give the details, but try your best on that because, um, we're using a lot of your concepts. Um, and we haven't used a lot of ball screens in the past simply because a lot of our kids, I coach girls, and a lot of our kids are not – it just takes so much time. And I feel, I just, I just feel like girls don't do a great job coming sure. off the ball screen, off the dribble. Sure. 
But the more I study it, the more I, I read yours, I really like what you guys are doing. Yeah. And we had used, uh, you know, a four out fast break to get right into our offense. So we had a couple different entries. But once we entered into the offense, what we were looking for is uh, a side ball screen uh, on a cleared outside between a big and a guard. So we had a two man game and then we spaced the backside with uh, our other big, what we called on the seam, which is a free throw line extended. And then we had our other two guards on the wing and in the corner. So the basic spacing just leads us with an open baseline with a side ball screen uh, in the court space pretty openly on the backside. So where, where we evolved this is to get the options going where players could communicate with each other verbally on what they were doing, what they were seeing, and execute on the fly um, different actions to attack a defense. So, you know, players' tendencies, uh, you know, their skill sets, what they were good at, they could rely on more. And we could also take a look at how the defense was playing the ball screens and give suggestions on how they should attack it based on what we think might be successful on their coverage. So it's a continuity offense where you can explore the one side, you can reverse it. Um, and then it gets us back into the same situation on the opposite side of the game for players to read and make decisions. So uh, we started slow with our implementation where we narrowed the options of what the players uh, were available, what was available to them. And then by our you know third year into the system, you know it was uh, pretty much open for them to make decisions and have a lot of choices on their own. So the fun part to me as a coach was uh, going from, you know, a, a pretty simple beginning and have it evolve into something, you know, that looked like these guys had been playing with each other for, you know, 10 years or something like that with the chemistry and synergy they had and the decision-making and execution of the different two-man actions. Yeah, and, and give um, you know, get you know, give our listeners some examples and so forth. So, you know, we're going to be putting it in. I, I was hoping to put it in this summer, coach, but I can't do it. So, you know, we're going to be putting it in as soon as possible. But, um, what are some strengths that you saw from it in your first year, and what were some issues? Because I know that. Um, Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado. You know, teams have to the, – the, the defenses have to make decisions – like when they're guarding a ball screen, you're trying to force that defense to make decision. And not all good players can really attack that and turn that corner. So what are some strengths of the offense and what are some weaknesses? That I you really found? thought that, uh, you know, through charting the offense and running it for years, the best thing that ever happened out of the offense was rejecting that side ball screen, driving the open baseline. And, you know, if the defense isn't, you can do layups there, but, so if you 
high up towards the baseline where you don't get walled off. I thought far and away that was the most uh, fruitful thing okay. that we could do. And I thought that, um, you know, there was a few things that gave us trouble um, that we had to adapt to. Teams that were switch well and couldn't exploit the mismatches with whether it was our guards trying to drive around their bigs or our bigs trying to drive around their guards. You know, we'd see some teams that were athletic and most of their guys are 6'3 across the board. And, you know, you're really not developing good matchups and they're able to switch it. So, you know, we had to, you know, develop some counters for that. And then, you know, when teams did some excessive sagging against the offense, it really just put the burden on us to make outside shots. But, you know, you got to get your kids to make those shots if teams are going to sag, you know, but you hate for that to be your only solution, you know, just making or missing shots. You want to, you know, have more of the details to get uh, a higher percentage shot. So, we saw those things. We made counters and adjustments to them, but it's a feeling out process, and a lot of teams will approach differently in how they defend it. Yeah, and I love the de- – I'm going to really promote it uh, because I really love the detail on how you – first of all, how, you, how you're teaching your kids how to read screens, and it's very detailed. And well, how does the screener – what does the screener do? There's so many different – reads and so forth from the driver and the screener um but that takes time to build huh that doesn't happen overnight so what are some drills what are some techniques are you using to really get your players to master those reads and how to read the defense well we started when we decided to go to the offense and make it our primary thing we started in the summer and we started as basic as you can be you know with dry reps where we're just talking about simply, you know, catching and squaring how to use the screen to fake away from the screen to, you know, all that stuff and progressed it really slowly into uh, like two on two games to three on three games where we'd have a reversal option. Um, But I think that the more reps that the kids get, and we were just like you where we didn't have a long history of using able to attack off ball screens but i think the comfort level just skyrocketed the more by the time we got into we went from guys that hadn't had much using ball screens to a group that was all comfortable ball screens and within the offense you've got to have at least regards that ball screens and you know your point guard and your two guard are usually using them a lot more than the other players, but, um, you know, you got to have some versatility and your guards being able to make plays, uh, three of them on the court, and then you're able to do some things, whether it's shooting or posting up to, you know, create some mismatches within the two-man games. Coach, let me ask you this. I I spoke to a coach, um, a a girls coach out of Wisconsin, and she runs – basically the Gonzaga, you know, five out uh, ball screen offense. And she says, coach, we run it with five guards. And I said, what? So, I mean, can you run it? I, I'm sure you can run anything with any type of player, but uh, have you run it with basically, I mean, because my four is going to be a small player and I have one big. Sure. So can you sure. run and it with best, smalls? On our best team offense, our player that we played at the four was probably 5'11". And he would, we'd use him as a screener in the offense, but
but he would do what we called a lot of ghost screens. So he would sprint a screen and then kind of just run by to create a driving gap. Or he would set that ball screen instead of rolling to the hoop, he would pop. Again, I think it's more about uh, adapting yeah. to your personnel and just putting them in in uh, positions where they can be successful. You know, we weren't going to ask the 5'11 kid to roll down in the paint and seal up his man. If he had that skill set, even at his height, you know, we, we might ask him to do that. But, you know, if you're going to play guards in the forward, then I think there's just some options for you to using them to the maximum of their ability instead of asking them to do something that they wouldn't be very effective at. Yeah. And I want you to, that that's a great point. I want you to talk about the pocket pass because I'm telling you that to me is you got to be adept at making that pass. The timing, all that is important. Uh, and I know it's just through drilling, but give me some, give me some techniques that can help us teach that pocket pass on, on making so that, what we're that delivery. About is, um, when we're coming off a ball screen, we're trying to come off uh, shoulder to shoulder and there's this window where your man, uh, your your offensive partner is rolling to the hoop and you've got to fit the ball uh, in a small pocket. Uh, it's usually a one-handed bounce pass with your outside hand right off the screen into a small window with the uh, to hit your roll man. So you've got two defenders, uh, you know, trying to play ball screen defense and you've got a very short amount of time and a very limited amount of space to fit uh, a pass in there. And you see the NBA guys, uh, they make that pass, which is a hard pass, but they make it look so easy. But for high school kids, uh, it can be challenging to recognize, and then it can be challenging to establish the discipline on when to throw that thing or when to, you know, pass on the opportunity. So again, it's, it's about comfort level. Um, but I think, there's some epiphanies that happen with simple two-on-two ball screens where they start to see things that they hadn't seen before, and then before long it's become easy and they're making reads and recognition uh, that they haven't been able to do in the past. Right, and do you recommend – now, there is a difference coaching girls and boys, and I'm sure you're aware by watching girls basketball for a while – I always feel like the bounce pass is hard for girls to handle because their hands aren't as strong. So we deliver, you know, more higher lob passes if we uh-huh. do a pick and roll. Uh, is, that what you, is that what you do with the boys more the air pass rather than that rather than the bounce? Uh, you know, it really depends on the players. Some players are more comfortable. We've had really skilled guards, um, you know, <laughs> lead the offense, and they were great at making that little bounce pass in there. And I think it depends on. Uh, who your role man is, you know, if it's uh, somebody that struggles with their, their hands and catching, you may want to give them something softer and higher than a, than a bounce pass. So, you know, we don't necessarily teach it one way or the other. We kind of want the players to have freedom and be able to be themselves. But certainly if we see something that we think is not advantageous for our players to be executing, whether it's, you know, a, a type of pass that they're throwing or, how they're throwing a pass to a certain player, you know, we're going to correct that and we're going to ask them to do it. Uh, yeah, and 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 tell me this, Matt, because we're a dribble drive team and I teach my girls to attack the rim. No hesitation because most girls struggle on stopping the ball. 
Um, so we want we want to really get in that kill zone. We want to attack the rim, get in what we call the rack zone. Um, that's that that's what's going to be the timing of that and the, the receiver. So um, should I then now using the ball screen? Do we say, hey, continue to attack, or now we got to, you know, we got to make some decisions now? That's going to be a tough call. So that huh? is, there's a balance uh, between what you're talking about and what we're asking our players to do. Um, you know, I think, you know, with your system, and a lot of people have had a lot of success with the dribble drive. Uh, it's pretty clear cut on what what you're you're wanting your players to do, and that's to get in that paint and make decisions. Um, you know, with this offense. You know, there's a little more to it, I would say, in terms of having to read and react to different types of defenses. So um, we still, I think, are after the same thing, which is, you know, to create high efficiency shots and to, you know, get open threes and to get the ball in the paint. But it's going to look a little different uh, as opposed to downhill driving. You know, now we're trying to exploit some of the details on how teams defend screens or whether they leave that baseline open or whether we've got good matchups uh, with our post players that we can try to work the high-low game with. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on uh, to another you know, part of your offense, um, give me some key details that we should know, or I should know, try to coach me up, uh, before I put it in. What, what are some key fundamental things that we absolutely, non-negotiables we need to have in this um, offense? You know, I think – uh, exactly how you're going to play ball in terms of reaction to teams' coverages. You know, you can't get into this thing and find a, de- a certain style of defense that's, uh, you know, maybe too hard for you to teach your kids how to attack, or maybe it's something you're interested in attacking another way. I think there's just got to be a commitment to no matter what coverage we see from a defense, whether it's switch or high hedge or trap or soft hedge or, you know, ice or whatever you're going to see that you can create a solution for your players for out of the offense. So what you don't want to do is commit to the offense until you get in some situation that you can't really deal with effectively. And then all of a sudden you're changing on the fly to try to do something else. I think that really tells your players that fully committed to what you're doing uh, so I think it's all about uh, having your counters ready as a coach where you understand what might be there uh, depending on how the defense is playing your your ball screens. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about how you number your cuts, particularly from your when you're trying to reverse the ball with your um, and you actually name your cuts. For example, a seven cut is a screen roll and look back. Um, I love how you name your cuts. You don't have to go over all of them, but kind of tell the listeners, hey, I think it's important for the kids to kind of be, make it simple, where if you say a seven cut, they know what you're we, talking about. When we first started with the offense, you know, we just kind of said, uh, you know, shooters, when you're in that forward spot, <clears> you can kind of screen and pop off of this. And bigs, we want you to screen and roll. And it evolved from there where we gave right. you know, a lot of different options to the players. And what would happen is we've got a forward that has the ball. He's going to reverse it and he's going to pass that ball to the, um, you know, weak side wing going to be the strong side wing. So on his, um, you know, traveling from 
the seam to where the ball is. He's going to make a verbal cue, which is going to tell the ball handler what he's going to do. So while this uh, verbal communication is, is happening, the player with the ball is deciding whether he can drive the ball to the baseline or not. We always encourage rejecting that screen. You know, if the deep is falling asleep or out of position, you know, drive that open baseline. But the forward is saying, you know, he might say zero. Zero meant he was going to slip to the basket before he set a screen. So the passer knew what the big man was going to do when he was on his way by hearing that verbal communication. Or if man was saying five, 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 that meant he was going to set the screen and he was going to roll to the basket and seal up, try to get a high low as the ball is, is reversed. So we encouraged our players uh, when we went to this verbal system to pick out two or three that fit their skill set uh, the best. And we encouraged them to stick with those. So, you know, a player that had more shooting ability, you know, he would find himself screening and popping or go screening or slipping. And then our, our uh, bigger plot post up guys, you know, might be doing, you know, completely different options on there. So it was really fun to watch uh, the guards and the big men start to develop the chemistry with the different cuts. And it was all through repetition of these verbal communications where it kind of evolved on the fly and the coach isn't controlling, um, you know, every action that's happening, the players are making decisions, you know, from their menu of options. And as we got rolling with it, we would call, um, you know, out of a timeout, we might say wave uh, 50. And what that meant is screen, going to run a five cut, screen, roll, seal up. And then on the backside, we were going to run a slip. So we could kind of, control that if we wanted to out of a timeout but for the most part it was there for the players to be able to read and react within a possession to do what they thought would uh, get a good solution to create a high efficiency shot for us yeah so the forwards are making this call right and the forwards are making this call and um do you, do you get to the point where there was no calls made that means yeah, you're really so good I, I would right say most of the time once we were really humming in the offense you know, there wasn't much direction from us other than like, you know, this team uh, hard hedges. So you may want to look more for your pops. You know, we would attack hard hedges by popping our screener uh, to that empty side. And he'd have the option usually to shoot or drive a closeout off of that action. So, you know, through the scouting report, we would encourage them to do different things. You know, this this, you know, some team we play against might switch a lot. So we would like to. Uh, slip before they could switch that really caused teams problems uh, that were switch teams and or we really want to look at the high low because we can switch and get these good matchups with our bigs uh, getting defended by guards in the paint so we would encourage them and give them direction on what to do but we felt like we wanted to not micromanage every possession and decision and this allowed us to let the players play to their strengths but also not feel like we were joystick coaching them and controlling them through every action. Yeah, you're. I mean, it's a player's game, and uh, I love how you're giving them a lot of – it's taking it out of your hands. You're allowing the players to make decisions on the run. I really like that sign of a good program, good coach. Um, talk about your defense. I know that um, 
I think I, I've read uh, a lot about your diamond press. Uh, I don't know if you're still running that, um, but your diamond press, and I guess you take a lot of pride in your man-to-man. So talk about that a little bit. So through years, we've used um, you know, a pack line style of defense that we called uh, we call wolf pack. And uh, you know, it's to control the paint. It's to take away penetration and passes into the paint. It's to force teams to beat us from the outside. Uh, we provide a lot of help. Um, but it's really just a way to try to make sure we're in great rebounding position uh, and we're not going to get beat uh, on interior shots over and over. So that defense for most of the coach. And then uh, these Glen Oak teams that we've had, we've had some uh, really good athleticism, some length uh, and speed. And, you know, we wanted to add and take advantage of that, some concepts. Uh, so last year, uh, we won seven games. We had a good uh, a good season, but we diamond pressed on every made basket. Uh, we played a long trapping one three one on balls, and then when we got back into transition, we were you know playing that wolf pack kind of pack line style defense. So it allowed us to control the game in terms of speeding it up when we were making baskets, but it also uh, us to kind of still control paint in terms of our half court man-to-man defense so we were a lot of different pressing and trapping options uh, and then we would fall back into something more more conservative so that was really fun and if you want to talk about not joystick coaching or not controlling uh, the action you know <laughs> just having those three things that your kids automatically knew what to go into um, you know that was really a lot of fun because they would just get right to their spots. They knew what they were doing and they weren't waiting for a call from me. They knew, you know, pressing was our calling card and we would make some adjustments and vary it up in different ways. But for the most part, you know, we were playing teams. We were trying to fast break on offense and we were, you know, taking the action to our opponent. Yeah, it really sound like that. I think I read a, uh, a short article on, well, I guess you guys beat Hoover. Uh, and I guess Hoover was a very slow down. I could be wrong on my analysis here, Coach, but it sounds like you guys just sped them up and your pressure. Now, I think they did make a comeback on you, but you guys eventually pulled ahead. But it sounded like to me, man, your pressure just kind of yeah, got we, to them at the we end. We overwhelmed quite a few teams uh, with our system and athleticism and um, – you know, in our league, you know, this is my this league is just full of teams that can play uh, slow down basketball pretty well. They have their systems in place. It's ingrained. They know what they're going to go to. Uh, there's not, you know, there's some there's some high powered teams and some athletic teams, but there's you know for the most part, it's teams that want to slow you down and grind you out. So from our viewpoint, we were looking mm-hmm. at, you know, how can we flip this thing? How can we, you know, not try to play these teams style of basketball that we know they're really good at, but force them to play a style of basketball uh, that we want them to play in. And uh, diamond, you know, it, it really uh, is a weapon because if teams want to attack it fast, you know, they're creating a tempo that's advantageous. And you can find good shots against the diamond press. If you get sloppy, you'll pay for it. But you can certainly find good good shots against it. 
But if you're going to try to slow down after you've beaten the press, then you're just playing into our hands because, you know, we've had the opportunity. It's down and you haven't taken advantage of it by creating higher efficiency shots at the back end of the press. So that was kind of our thought process in trying to dare these teams to either get into an up and down game with us or, um, you know, risk us having the opportunity to steal the ball with uh, making us pay and them going into some setup offense where they can run run the clock. It, now, is that how uh, – now, do you guys you guys have a shot clock in Ohio. Is that, that true or – no shot clock. So I'm assuming to slow you down, I'm assuming the good teams are are, are just going to spread you out, right? It's How do you a, combat you know, that it's, in it's the half court? It's more of a, just a methodical approach of, you know, we're not going to take the first shot that's there. It's we're going to get really organized and we're going to run our set all the way through and try to backdoor you. And if we don't get that, then we're going to pull it out and we're going to try something else. You know, it's it's just these teams with these systems – that they know exactly what they want and they've been trained really well. And it doesn't matter if, you know, they can score in 20 seconds or 60 seconds, you know, they're going to try to get a really good shot against you. Um, so no shock. It's a push right now to try to get that going in our state. I know a lot of coaches uh, are interested in that and want to get that done. Um, but yeah, we get teams that try to spread us out and we're able to flip to our, our little trapping one, three, one on the fly, pretty good. So in like desperation situations, if we, you know, maybe we were behind and, uh, you know, by six points late in the game, we can miss make a hand signal and jump right into it. And then, you know, it's not as easy for those teams just to spray out and dribble around. You Yeah, absolutely. And coach, you have that available to all the coaches. I just want you to share a little bit. Um, that you have access. Number one, I recommend coaching coaches getting your wave offense. I mean, it, it you put together a great package there for coaches. Um, and I just want to commend you for uh, doing a great job on that that package. I know I learned a lot. Um, so talk about what you have available uh, so really, on your site there. Um, you know, my enjoyment of basketball. I wanted to spread that around. And I started putting kind of what I thought were generic videos up on YouTube. And I found that some people uh, really took a liking to them. So I took uh, some of those concepts from some of the videos on my YouTube channel and I turned them into PDFs. And um, I get a lot of emails from a lot of different coaches and most of the material I just send out for free. But I think there's, you know, six or seven things that I turned into PDFs that I uh, charge some money for and are available on a self-buy store. So uh, the, the wave offense that you're talking about is, um, you know, I think the most highly purchased uh, guide that I have on there, but I also have uh, some pretty detailed and conditioning programs for basketball on building your youth program uh, for high school basketball, you know, um, on that diamond press that we had spent time talking about on our half court defense defensive system so i think there's six or seven things available uh if we can share a link in in the comments i think that people would find those interesting but i think the best practice for those is me just getting crystal clear 
uh, on what I want these things to look like. And through the study of having to write in the detail that I write in about concepts, it really just allows me full clarity on what I want to see and how I want things to be executed and what the, you know, solutions are to different problems. So, you know, as helpful, um, you know, as it can be to any coach that it uh, gets in their hands, it's even more helpful to me just to develop, you know, how it's within an author or defense or whatever. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. Whatever it is you know, that I'm writing about. Yeah, and I love that because I, I, I'm i totally in agreement with you on that. And some people probably accuse me of being too detailed sometimes. But I think it's important for coaches to do that is to, uh, man, you better know exactly what you're teaching. And by just, you know, not having a playbook or not doing detailed of your system, I think is a mistake. So I think you really offer coaches a great picture, a great idea of how to build your offense and defensive system. You can't just throw I, it together. You know, I just think the days of, uh, you know, just saying do this <clears> because <throat> I said so are gone and that players are smarter. Players have access to a lot of different information. Um, you know, and, and they may want some answers in terms of what we're doing or why we're doing it. And, uh, you know, if you're not prepared as a coach, uh, I think it'll expose you to your players and they'll they'll pick up on that. So certainly it's not the players run asylum, but I think this is a smart, uh, more educated type of player that, you know, may want some under instead of just be just because they said so. So the more prepared I felt as a coach to be able to answer any question that would come from an assistant coach or from, a, uh, you know, any of our players, I just thought the better that we were able to teach it and the more confident everybody was in a system that we were. Yeah. And I, I'm, uh, I think you're going to get a lot of feedback from coaches. I have a lot of high school coaches that listen. So, uh, but just we, I, I appreciate you sharing with us all your different things. Um, talk about practices really quick. Uh, hey, maybe that's your next one you put out there is, um, you know, developing a, solid practice plan, but also uh, what are some key ideas? What are your DNA drills? What are some key concepts uh, you again, use in your I practices? I think that the type of team that you have should dictate, you know, in terms of, you know, what exactly you're doing in your practice. You know, my, my more experienced teams needed less drill work and needed more game-like situations in there. And, you know, some of my teams that I've been younger – you know, they needed more drills and, you know, kind of less game-like experience. Structuring the practices the same way uh, within my 
uh, eight years of head coaching of, you know, the warm up, the skill breakdown and offensive section of defensive section, uh, a game section and, you know, same, same type of thing, trying to fit our, our lifting in uh, two to three times depending on uh, the portion of the season it is. But again, the adaptability to give your different, uh, you know, team that you might have experience level they need to be able to perform in games and you know my best teams might have probably practiced the least amount and done the least amount of drills and done more games and it was more about their character and their makeup and what they could handle and trying to keep their body coaches falling into the trap of you know just determining this is how things are going to be and this is how long practice is and we're going to do this depending on you know what team I have and I think it's really that feel thing that develop over time of just what they need yeah and I think we're trending towards I speak to a lot of coaches even some of your top coaches have been coaching a long time I think we're trending almost to the NBA side of load management because I know I do, man, as I approach the middle of the season, I practice less and less and less. Um, Cause I think you better have some fresh legs, fresh minds. I, right uh, at the end. You know, I hate, I'm 34 years old. So I hate to say like, you know, when I was young, I got my first head coaching job when I was uh, 26, <laughs> but we went, probably two hours and 15 minutes and we did that the whole way through the season when I first coaching and uh, those teams were successful uh, but maybe they could have even been more successful if I'd have been smart enough not to grind them down so much later in the season. now I kind of uh, you know can read and develop these relationships with our players where we can talk and have honest conversations and when they're talking about how bad they're dragging or you know how much toll the weight room's uh, taking on them. You don't want to baby them, but you, there's times to give them uh, shorter practices. There's times to take off from the weight pounding of, uh, you know, the hard things that you ask them to do. So I think finding that balance and being able to trust your assistants and trust uh, your leaders on your team, be able to listen to them and read and then adjust accordingly instead of being so rigid in how you approach things uh, that you don't have an open Yeah, I think I, I definitely think your top coaches are trending that way. Coach, give me two, two of your your best DNA drill, drills you do a lot. And it could be a ball screen drill, it could be a defensive drill. What drill that you really believe in that you're going to do? You know, I hate to say a lot something like shell practices. defense. I know people listening may want to be wild. There's no <laughs> places. Yeah. Um, you know what you can teach there in terms of getting your whole team unified. And, you know, we've got, you know, some different ways that we executed and, you know, we're working closeouts within the drill. We're doing a lot of different things within the drill, but just your, your base block shell defense, being your whole team and how you're going to approach a defensive system and getting everybody locked in and developing that trust that everybody's going to be in the right spot at the right time and, you know, help just right, but not too much or not too little. You know, I think that, you know, having a great shell defense and however you want is really important. And then, uh, you know, I've always been a team and, uh, you know, we run a, our transition drill where we time it and 
you know, we count uh, the shots made within the drill. And that's one that always gets the players uh, excited. So, you know, within the practice, usually about midway, the team is fired up to, you know, try to break their record at our transition uh, offensive drill uh, to get up and down the court, get moving a little bit, maybe after we've put in after our offensive block of practice. Uh, but I think, you know, being able to get your get your shots up and ingrain your transition system as well as your shell defense, uh, I think are my hat on the most. Uh, talk about your shell really quick. Is it four on four, five on five? And uh, give us some, just some key concepts that you would teach. Do you have, is it a live? Is it, um, sure. you know, kind of sure. teach us so some, some basics of it really we'll quick. Start uh, that drill with five on five guys on in the paint have a ball. Okay, they're going to fire the ball out to a partner that they have. They're going to, you know, practice their closeout to get to the ball. We're going to have the player with the ball uh, make some fakes, a couple fakes. We're going to have him take the ball up through the different windows so that defensively we can adjust our hands, adjust our positioning where we want them to be uh, specifically. And then we will have the offensive player make a, a strong rip move and try to on one dribble. Okay, so we're having our defender wall off that drive, and then when the offensive player picks up their dribble, we're going to jam and kill that pivot foot and get you know smother that pivot foot and you know practice just the basics of closing out, defending a hard first dribble, making sure our hands are where we want them to be, and then smother uh, a dead pivot. So that's kind of the first phase of things. Then we'll we'll take that and turn it into a uh, situation where we've got five on the perimeter on offense and, um, you know, five in the paint, but there's only one. Pull that ball out and the one player guarding the ball is going to close out just like you would in the first phase of the drill. The other four players are now going to sprint to help instead of, you know, covering their guy who's got the ball. So from there, we're, we're building out a system and we'll give different alignments each day. So, you know, we usually start with five out and then we'll do four round one and then we'll do three out, two in and then we'll do a Princeton look and then we'll do, you know, all the kind of different alignments you see from teams. But we'll go through that in phases where we're working the ball around the perimeter. Uh, and the first time, first time through, uh, we give limitations to the offense. So the first phase of that is uh, pass on command where we ask the offense to pass when the coach tells them to and all we're look, looking for defensively is positioning and communication so the player in the ball needs to be in the ball you know hands and feet right at the proper angles we've got to have our help uh, where it needs to be pass away two passes away, uh, and we've got to be communicating loud so you know these are kind of the initial phases early in the season you know the more your team gets us down the the season goes on but you know then we'll progress into a, a drive kick phase where we're going to do the same thing now the players have the freedom to gap the penetration our man and we're playing live on any shot so if the shot gets up we've got to block out and we've got to rebound so uh playing a cut and return game where it's the same type of thing fire the ball out there close 
side are trying to flash to the strong. Uh, and if, you know, we get any cuts into the middle of the defense, we're talking to our defense about their positioning and their vision and how they're going to bump a cutter. Um, and we progress that into some ball screen coverage and we finish it off with some live stops where whichever action we've been working against on any given day, but now there's more freedom from the offense and we need uh, the defense to get three stops in a row uh, to get out of shell. So it can take us as long as 40 minutes. I don't like doing stuff that long, uh, but I think it's that important that I think we got to settle in and you got to have long dogged days for your defensive principles. Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, it's what you believe in. And I, uh, it sounds like to me that, uh, yes, you believe in ball pressure, but you're, you're really focusing on, man, where is your help aligned? Because that's key to defense, well, man. How you help is key, right? The guy on the ball, if he knows that the help's going to be there, if he does get beat, then he can put that kind of pressure on the ball that we really want to see. So if he, if he doesn't believe that there's going to be help where there's supposed to be, then he's, you know, hesitant to really get up in his man like we want him to. So I think helping that trust between your team and between players to let them know that, you know, they're going to help each other. And that's the concept of the Wolfpack is, you know, it's five guys on a string. It's five guys working together. It's not one guy on an island trying to stop. Um, so just in that trust, I think it's huge. That, that is huge. No doubt. Trust is a key word for defense, for sure. Um, and, and just really quick, explain that, explain your transition drill. So somebody could, you know, take, who's taking notes can, can start it and um, prepare and, no, and we're use it with his team. Probably our most, our transition is just, uh, you know, five out where we're working through uh, the flow into our offense we might do one simple action out of our offense uh, and it'll be groups rotating through. So there might be a group that goes five trips. You know, I've picked out the action that they want to get the shot off that. Then we've got the next group coming in right behind us and we're counting and scoring all of our uh, makes and misses trying to get to a high score. So it can be five trips with one group, five trips with the next group. Uh, and we'll do that. Uh, you know, for, for a while, just to ingrain, running those wide, advancing the ball up the court where it is and getting right into an, an after we uh, cross half court rather than looking to set up or run something different. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, if you're a running team, I, I always laugh at people who want to be running teams, running teams, you better make sure your players, particularly I know in our case, our wings are sprinting every time. I'm sure you got to drill that into kids because it's not easy yeah, to get your we, players uh, to fly. We've been sprinting them to the dead corners, which has been beneficial to us. And the other thing we've been doing with our transition is a lot of uh, drag, drag ball screens right in transition where we're bringing the ball up either sideline and we've got a tra our trailing big sprinting right into that ball screen. And that's um, Love it. Yeah. really been beneficial for us just to catch teams off guard where they're not able to really set up their defense and get their communication going and load up the help. Um, you know, when it seems like everybody's flying back just to find their guy and all of a sudden you're, you're getting hit with those drag. Uh, and something that, you know, we installed 
a few years ago and you know that'll be a staple for a while because it's been really successful for us yeah particularly if you have a great point guard we're very fortunate we got a really good one man we run all sorts of drag ball screens for her but uh hey the game's not complicated right it's pretty simple (laughs) um Coach, before you go, what are the best resources you use to make yourself a more efficient coach? I know there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, you might give us something that Man, maybe uh, that no, somebody doesn't know about. Is overwhelming yourself with too much because I think there's so many coaches uh, that are so interested in studying and learning that we find ourselves trying to do so much stuff instead of you know just kind of what we want to do and <laughs> pretending sure. we're on a desert island and there's no new concepts so you know i'm a i'm a big fan they're learning all kinds of stuff back related or not uh you know a lot of uh, uh books I, I enjoy learning from uh you know i'm in a, a coaching group uh, with randy sherman that's been beneficial to me but mm-hmm. you know even from you know, basketball related and O's to even, you know, stuff season on the brink by John Feinstein or, you know, these historical books, you know, the Jordan rules or any of this stuff where you can learn. And, you know, I think there's a lot of X's and O's out there, but trying to understand, you know, Coach K's five point playbook, you know, where he's trying to teach some of these lessons and the methods that he's using, uh, you know, I think some of that stuff can get overlooked in terms of people falling in love with diagrams on a paper. I would say be well, be well-rounded and where you get your stuff from. Um, but also beware of, you know, overloading yourself and trying to process too much stuff because you can't do everything. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and yes, there, there is so much great stuff out there and, Hopefully people are listening. A lot of people are listening to this podcast, but, um, but also you have to kind of believe in yourself on what you're doing. So I love that desert Island analogy because you have to take what you're good at and man, make something of it. Right. um, Is that what you're trying to say? One of the fun parts of coaching certainly to me is experimenting and trying different things. But then if you look at the sum of the parts and it's all, these dead end experiments that you went on that you- well, you were saying uh, about resources and probably less is better probably. Right. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, less is better. Not necessarily. I think you want to have the ability uh, to study a lot of things, <laughs> but when it comes to implementation, you've just, uh, you know, you've got to have your convictions and you've got to be committed to what you're going to do. So, I think it's fine to know what's out there. I think it's fine to browse a lot of things and understand different concepts and to learn as a coach. Uh, But I think, you know, we're getting into these trial and error situations that take place on the court where ultimately you just weren't committed or convicted enough in in, uh, the concept to stick with it. So, you know, you don't want to be just bouncing back and forth between a bunch of different things. You want to do the things that you do really well. Uh, so you don't want to be experimenting too much. So, you know, look at a lot of different resources, study a lot of different stuff, but when it's time for implementation, uh, be committed to what you're putting in. That's a great point. That's great advice. Cause, um, and also study. I think sometimes we jump from one thing to the next. You're right. Just kind of study, get, 
be great and really learn one particular offense or defense and go with it, maybe add a few wrinkles here or there. That's a great point because uh, your players will know whether you know it or not, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, a lot of coaches, they'll see other coaches and they'll say, you know, I like how this team or this coach did that and I want to try that. And then all of a sudden, you know, you don't know how to drill it as well or you don't know the details as well. And, you know, you're trying to do something um, that you just thought was cool instead of something that you've really, really done your homework for. And that's when it comes back to, you know, me when I write write down these philosophies of the things that we do and try to share them with other coaches, you know, that's the process of being in the nitty gritty of all the details uh, of what you're looking for when you implement something so that you know it so well that you've got those solutions for anything that can happen. I love that's a great idea. Uh, Coach, give, I always ask my, my, my uh, coaches that I interview, what is one word that's going to describe your team this upcoming season before you go? Uh, coachable. I think we've got a really, really coachable group uh, that I'm, I'm excited to shape and mold. Uh, that, you know, there's not a, a lot of experience on this team coming back. We graduated uh, seven seniors. Um, but this team, I think, uh, can really get after it and compete. And they can, uh, you know, follow directions and execute at a really, really high level. So I'm excited about that as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. That's always the best teams, right? They're the ones that are coachable. Coach, uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, how can we get a hold of you? And also, how can we get a hold of your, um, first of all, your YouTube channel, your PDFs, things like that? Uh, you know, just typing my name into, into YouTube, I think we'll come up with a lot of results. I've got a page there um, that has a couple hundred videos on it, uh, mostly coaching related, basketball coaching related. Uh, within a lot of those videos, there's a lot of people that have requested an email so I can share documents. But my email is M-A-T-T-H at uh, Hackenberg, H-A-C-K-E-N-B-E-R-G dot biz, B-I-Z. Uh, you know, I get I get emails almost daily from coaches uh, requesting resources or asking questions. Uh, and then, you know, social media, Twitter, uh, you know, at Coach Hack Geo uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, and I've connected with a lot of coaches through that social media platform. So, hey, uh, appreciate you having me on. Any of those methods uh, would be great. Uh, you know, YouTube is a great place to start to uh, learn about a lot of these concepts that we've talked about here today. Yeah, absolutely, Coach. I appreciate you uh, sharing all the details of your program. So thanks again for coming on, man. You're part of the Championship Vision family now, Coach, so welcome. I appreciate that. I'm <laughs> excited to uh, you know, listen back through the archives here and, uh, you know, add another uh, resource for me to learn about the game. But, you know, uh, uh, you, know you, you, you can have too many if you choose to try to implement them, but you can't have too many if you're just trying to study and learn and develop. Absolutely. I love that. Well said. Coach, thank you so much. I wish you the best. Stay healthy and uh, good luck next season. Thanks for coming on. Coach, uh, take care. Let's connect up soon. Let's do it. Okay. Take care. Yep. Hey, coaches. This is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams 
including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. If you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram.